Good morning uh, to the church that meets here in Bishan, and I must say that you guys are commendable. Uh, the rain has been pouring heavily, and yet we are still full house. So turn to the person around you and give them a thumbs up sign. <laughs> yeah, for those who are standing at the back, we have uh, many seats in front, and if you want, I'll I can wait for you to come and take your seat before I start the sermon. No, just joking. You can uh, stand if you want to. Uh, but uh, let me warn you, the sermon is slightly longer today. <laughs> and so good morning again. Today we are on week number three uh, of four weeks of messages on prayer. And we trust uh, that this has somehow helped you improve your prayer lives. So the passage assigned for this sermon in our discipleship groups is Philippians chapter 4, because we aim to look at the topic of contentment. And so here is what I'm going to do today. We shall look at how the Apostle Paul, the writer of Philippians, we shall look at how he lives out contentment as seen from the letter that he writes to the Philippians. And we shall find out how we can pray to practice the same. In short, we want to pray to become contented children of God. And so here it goes. So have you caught the bug? You know, you've probably been asked that, referring to COVID-19, because a lot of people have had COVID. And if you have not caught it, chances are you did, only that you did not experience or show symptoms of it. But there's another bug that we must have all caught, though we may be unaware. It's called the affluenza virus. Affluenza virus. Have you heard of it? Affluenza, it is the modern disease that strikes in our affluent times. A time when we have so much compared to the previous generation. And we have so much, yet we are still dissatisfied and unhappy. And the most common symptom of affluenza is discontentment. And so do you suffer? from affluenza. Here's the news. There is no vaccine for affluenza, but there is a cure that is found in the book, in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, he calls it contentment. And he says, first slide comes up, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so he shares this cure to all of us by saying too that what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things contentment you know in the original text the word content means self-sufficient in fact in many greek writings apart from our new testament which was originally written in greek the word content expresses this next slide it expresses being strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or no support. It is, in other words, being independent of external circumstances. So I got that from the um, Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament. And so to the Macedonians, this idea of being above and independent of whatever circumstances, uh, it rings a bell. Why? Because ancient Greece is heavily influenced by Greek philosophy and Stoic philosophy. 
So what does Stoic philosophy teach? Well, that they say that in order for one to be wise, to become wise, one must be indifferent to the vicissitudes of fortune and to pleasure and pain. In other words, they say that circumstances do not affect one who is wise. And so that is why one Stoic philosopher puts it. He says, you must always say, I don't care. So if the cup breaks, I don't care. If the pet dog dies, I don't care. If you get injured, you say, I don't care. It's indifference. And so when I read this, I could not help but remember John Rambo. Have you watched that movie? The entire movie, he doesn't show any expression at all. In fact, he doesn't speak at all until the last part of the movie, right? So indifference, uh, that is stoicism. Rambo does not show pleasure to eating food. He does not mince in pain when he was stitching his wound. It's indifference to any circumstances. That is contentment to the Greeks, to the Stoics. But Paul's definition and his practice of contentment, although he uses the same word, is radically different from the Greeks' understanding. Contentment, to Paul, is not indifference. It is not self-sufficiency. It is not self-reliance. It is not independence. Rather, it is Christ-sufficiency. It is reliance in Christ. It is dependence on Christ. So Paul says, I can do all things on my own strength. No, that is not what he said. But rather, Paul said, and the slide comes up, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Meaning that he's got all things in Christ to go through whatever he is going through. In other words, contentment is not saying like the Stoics, I don't care, I don't care. Christian contentment, on the other hand, on the contrary, rather, it says this, next slide. It says, I'll be fine. Why? Because I have got Jesus. I'm going to be okay because Christ strengthens me. This is a radical kind of contentment. It's a different kind of contentment. And that is why Paul says that even the learning process of this kind of contentment, uh, this, uh, the learning process is what he calls enigmatic. So he says, next slide, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now the phrase learning the secret, that phrase in Greek is, is used to describe an initiation to a mystery religions. So when Paul uses that language, he is saying that contentment, it is not acquired the world's way of acquiring contentment. It is not learned, for example, by practicing the Marie Kondo magic of tidying, tidying up things, right? Uh, it is not learned by becoming a minimalist, where you decide you just have a few items. It is not attained by joining the sustainability bandwagon. You, you, you suddenly boycott fast fashion and you decided to just live on a few shirts. Did you notice that I keep wearing this one shirt? <laughs> the secret 
or the mystery of contentment, according to Paul, is learned from a different kind of school. It is a school where we rest in the sufficiency of Christ and do all things through Him. And that school is not some physical, static location. That school where we learn contentment are the dynamic situations where God brings to us situations of plenty, situations of need, situations of abundance, and situations of having need. And so as you can see, while the world teaches us that contentment can be attained by changing our circumstances or changing our situations, for instance, you, you say, if I go to that school of my choice, if I get the dream job that I want, if I marry so-and-so, while the world tells us that changing our circumstances brings contentment, Paul's contentment is different. While the world tells us that contentment can be achieved by adopting stoicism, philosophy, I don't care, uh, master your emotions, be indifferent to changes in your situations. While the world tells us that being stoic makes one contented, contentment, according to Paul, is not of this world. It is radical. It is resting in Christ in times of plenty, and in times of need. It is trusting in Him in good and bad situations. It is being able to say, I'll be fine either because God will see to it. He places me, He appoints me in this situation and He will see to it. He will provide for my needs. And so one person puts it, next slide. He says, contentment, is believing that God's provision is always sufficient and His appointments are always appropriate. It's a nice way of putting it. God's provision, there's all, there, there, it's going to be always enough. And where, where God places us in, you can be certain, you must believe that it is appropriate. Now, you know what? This kind of contentment is not exclusive to Paul. Because you may think, as some of my DG members did say, that, well, that's Paul, you know. He's an apostle. I'm not Paul. Uh, well, contentment did not drop down from heaven for the apostle. He did not receive instant contentment. Paul had to learn it, and he did. And now he says, what you have learned, heard, and seen in me, practice it. And so that means that you and I must pray to learn contentment. So how should we pray to learn contentment? First point. Firstly, we must pray. Next slide. We must pray that we learn contentment by believing that God is using our afflictions for His glory and for our good. After all, Paul writes and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has, has really served to advance the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 12. Now, Paul, he could have just felt sorry for himself about his sad state, but he saw the affliction of his imprisonment furthering God's kingdom and bringing him glory, the glory of people coming to know the Lord Jesus 
through the preaching of the word. You see, somehow, uh, Paul says, many have become more confident, more confident in the Lord to speak boldly God's word because of Paul's imprisonment. He doesn't know how it happened, but for some reason, people have become more bold or bolder in preaching the word because of Paul's imprisonment. Paul's imprisonment, notice, didn't spark a protest, but rather it sparked a proclamation of the gospel without fear. So Paul believes that God's affliction is somehow never wasted. And in his case, Christ was proclaimed boldly as a result. And so what is his outlook on affliction? That there, that's contentment. That contentment is not a release from affliction, but contentment is seeing God glorified in the midst of his affliction. And so when you and I experience affliction as part of living in a fallen world or because of our obedience to Christ, we must pray then to learn contentment by believing that God is using our troubles for his glory and for our good. Aside from the advancement of the gospel, what good did Paul's imprisonment bring him? Well, Paul noted that there were people who uh, preached Christ all the more, not out of godly intentions, but out of envy, out of rivalry, out of selfish ambition. So he sees that there is somehow evil happening. Preachers uh, preaching in order to afflict Paul more. But Paul somehow wants to revel in the greater good. He says, next slide, he says, well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. So you look at that verse, did you spot contentment in Paul's reaction? He throws himself to God's will, and he catches, he spots the good that is coming out of it. Heavens agree. <laughs> Reminds me of Joseph, Jacob's son. Despite the years of separation from his father, which is brought about, you know, by his brother's wickedness, despite his years of uh, uh, wasting away in prison, although he was wrongfully accused, despite his brother's seeming lack of repentance, Joseph, he resolved to see good that God meant, telling his brothers that you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The good, which was the saving of his family's lives. And see that Joseph did not pay back what his brothers did to him. He was contented with God's plan and will for him. It was for his good and for the good of his family. And so, friends, we must pray to learn contentment by believing that God uses our affliction for his glory and for our good. Secondly, next slide, we must pray to seek and serve God 
in our afflictions and so learn contentment. You know, had Paul, if you read the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, had Paul left out the fact that he was in prison writing the letter to the Philippians, one would not have guessed that, uh, that there was an ordeal that he was going through. Okay, why is that so? Because of Paul's joyful disposition. For once, uh, he did say, uh, firstly rather, that uh, he rejoices while he was in prison and he exhorts the Philippians to do the same. And while he was afflicted himself, Paul nevertheless sought to serve God by writing and by exhorting the Philippian church, telling them to be united, to look, uh, to look unto others' interests, telling them to follow Jesus' humility, telling them to flee grumbling. And Paul even cared enough to address uh, two women, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, uh, addressing them to, to patch up and uh, shake hands. Paul did not leave his apostolic calling just because he was in prison. He did not wait for his circumstance to become better to change before resuming in serving God. But rather, he made himself available to serve God still by serving his people. That, my friends, is contentment. You know, I've visited the people waiting to go home to glory, people on their deathbed, and I fumble what to say to them. I do not know how to minister to them. Yet I find that it's the dying saint who ministers to me instead. So I remember many, many years ago, I visited my Bible school schoolmate who was dying from cancer. And when we saw him, he was skin and bones. And yet he tried to put up a smile, to put on a smile for us. And he whispered to us, telling us, Stay faithful to the Lord. Stay faithful to the Lord. He didn't cry, but we cried on our way home. Tears of sadness, losing him, combined with tears of encouragement. He served us, his fellow schoolmates, in the midst of his affliction. And so we must learn to pray that we be taught contentment by seeking to serve God in our troubles. Third point, we must pray to bloom wherever we are planted by God because, my friends, that is contentment. You know, we live at a time of increased choices, don't we? The availability for choices for almost anything has increased exponentially thanks to digitization. It used to be that grandpa married grandma. Why? Because they got into an arranged marriage. Because choices were not available in their time. But now with dating apps, what do you call that? Uh, what meets bagel? Coffee meets bagel, right? Is it coffee meets bagel? Yeah, coffee meets bagel. Now with dating apps, choices have increased exponentially. 
It used to be buying toothpaste or coffee was very straightforward uh, because there were only a handful of brands available from your grocer. Now, because of WTO agreements, suddenly there's just so many brands to choose from, from butter to clothes to shoes to cars. We live at a time of increased choices, so much so that the consumer is described to be either a maximizer or a satisficer. Next slide. A maximizer or a satisficer. Have you heard of this? When it comes to making a choice, are you a maximizer or a satisficer? A maximizer is one who will aim for the best. A maximizer is one who will always be on the lookout for better deals or opportunities. The good job that he or she now has may be good, but because he is a maximizer, he thinks it is not the best. And so he is always on the lookout. She's always on the lookout for better opportunities. That is the maximizer. On the other hand, the satisficer will always settle for what is good enough. Good enough. He may go through all the choices, yes, but once he finds what is good enough, he picks it up and he will not worry that there could be something better out there. I think Roger is a satisficer. <laughs> he picks what is good enough and then he wouldn't worry about the rest. Am I correct? Ah, uh, yeah, he agrees. <laughs> so are you a maximizer? or a satisficer? Which one best describes you? Are you one who will settle for the best? Always looking for the best. Or are you one who will settle for the good enough? To Paul, it is neither. It is not trying to maximize or not just selling for what is good enough. To Paul, it is embracing what God has appointed for him. And what is the one resounding proof that the apostle is blooming where he is planted? Well, he rejoices. He rejoices. So if you read Philippians, you will see that he rejoices that the gospel is being advanced. He rejoices that even preachers preach out of selfish ambition. He rejoices whether uh, uh, he looks forward uh, to, to see the Philippians, whether he sees them or he doesn't, or he goes to glory. He rejoices. He rejoices having received gifts from the Philippians. Paul rejoices, he rejoices, he rejoices. He is blooming where God planted him, though he is not in the best circumstance. And even his situation, you can say, is not a good enough, comfortable place. But he embraces it as a God-appointed place for the apostle for now. And he will bloom there. He will rejoice there. That is contentment. So are you stuck in a job? Are you stuck in a school not of your choice? Are you stuck with, you fill in the blanks because I don't want to strike a raw nerve? Yes, it may not be the best. Yes, it may not be good enough. But consider instead that it is God's appointed for you for now and believe that God's appointments 
are always appropriate, and you will be empowered in Christ Jesus to bloom for Him. Next, we must pray. Next slide. We must pray to find contentment by surrendering our anxiety. So Paul says in verses 6 to 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When our circumstances make us worried, when they make us restless and, and lacking peace, we must pray to be content by turning our anxiety into prayer. Entreat God to rescue us from our troubles, implore the Lord to grant us relief from pain, and when we do so, something happens. That while we wait for God's response to our prayers, the peace of God calms us. The serenity of God, the unshakableness of God assures us that He is in full control and that He knows what He is doing. This peace of God refers to His wisdom, which is far superior, that it surpasses all understanding, far superior than all our, our own wisdom, our own wisdom in how to save us and deliver ourselves from our present trouble. The serenity of God, the peace of God. You know, the serenity of God uh, was exhibited when the Lord appeared before Elijah at uh, Mount Horeb. You probably know the story. In the book of Kings, Elijah was running away from, the, from Jezebel after his successful showdown with the prophets of Baal. Yet, it didn't turn Ahab back to the Lord. I mean, Baal prophets, they lost they lost the, 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 the showdown. Yahweh won the showdown. Yahweh rained fire from heaven. But despite the miracle, Ahab did not turn back to the Lord. And so Elijah felt sorry for himself, ran away because of a threat to his life, telling God that he's the only one faithful who is left and his life is now endangered. How did the Lord respond where we are told in that in that account that there was a great strong wind followed by a great earthquake followed by a fire but god wasn't in all of them after the great wind after the great earthquake after the great fire the lord appeared in the sound of a low whisper and he assured elijah that no, he is not the lone worshiper. Unknown to Elijah, there were 7,000 faithfuls who still remain. God, in his serenity, in his whisper, assured the prophet of that. You know, our troubles, they usually speak louder than the soft and gentle whisper of God's peace. 
Our afflictions, they loom larger and more powerful. But in reality, they are puny compared to the Lord's great wind, earthquake, and fire. When we turn our anxiety to prayer, it doesn't follow that we will see an earth-shattering turnaround, but instead, the serenity of God keeps us calm. It assuring us that He knows what He is doing, and we can rest in that assurance. Perhaps that was why Paul was, on one hand, trusting that God may soon allow him to see the Philippians. He may be released in prison. He says, I trust in the Lord that shortly uh, I myself will come also. Chapter 2, verse 24. And yet, on the other hand, he is ready to die in prison. He says, I am now being poured out as a drink offering. Chapter 2, verse 17. This is proof that God's peace surrounds him. And so, friends, we must pray that we find contentment by surrendering in prayer whatever makes us anxious. Because God's peace shall surround us and assure us, telling us that we will be okay. We will be okay because of Christ. Lastly, we must pray to avoid self-sufficiency, but welcome partnership with the church. I said that Christian, Christian contentment is not self-sufficiency. It's not independence. It is reliance in Christ. It is dependence on Christ. But Christian contentment is also partnership with Christ's church. So Paul writes, next slide, he says in chapter 4, verse 14 and following, It was kind of you, Philippians, to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul had the Philippian church to share in his trouble. The church partnered with the apostle by funding his mission work and also sending him help. And then individually, there were people like Timothy and Epaphroditus who uh, served with Paul in the gospel work. And we are told in Philippians that Timothy, he was like a son to uh, the Apostle Paul. And Ephrophoditus, well, he was a fellow brother, a worker, and a soldier to Paul who served as the Philippians' minister, ministering to Paul's need. And uh, Ephrophoditus, we were told, uh, felt, fell very ill and nearly died. But God had mercy on him and on Paul and uh, spared Paul from deep sorrow. So Christian contentment is not self-sufficiency. There's dependence on Christ, and there's also partnership with the church and his people, which tells us that we must be willing to share our troubles 
and our needs with God's people. Because this pleases God who redeemed us to be a family to look after one another. And that is why, as an application, we must read the newsletters sent to us by our missionaries so that we may know how to share in their troubles. So one of our missionaries, did you know, was, is recovering from a broken or from a fractured rib. God wants us to look after one another. And so when you are going through a tough time, please do not keep it a secret and go through it alone. Don't try to be self-sufficient. Don't say, I'll be fine. Instead, say, I'll be fine because I've got Christ and I've got the family of God, the church of God. You know, when our son was born with um, multiple health issues, Anna and I didn't keep it to ourselves. We informed the church to uh, pray for us. And among Dan's issues was that he had a cleft palate, which means that he had a hole on the roof uh, of his mouth. And so he could not suck milk. Now, it was already difficult enough for Anna and me as first-time parents, all the more with a baby who could not suck milk normally. So I went to uh, find different kinds of milk bottles, but they all would not do. Because Dan, our son, just couldn't seem to take, take in milk successfully and so kept crying in hunger. And worse, if you have babies, you probably know, uh, his fontanelle was a little bit depressed, which means that he was on the brink of dehydration. Then the Lord sent a visitor from church in the nick of time to see how we were doing. She came to visit us and she carried Dan on her arm, asked for a syringe, and used the syringe to push milk into his mouth. Within seconds, the boy stopped crying. And within a few minutes, he was fast asleep, full and satisfied. I think Anna and I must have teared up in relief because of the love of a fellow believer. And so we thank God, indeed, for the family of God. We must pray that we learn contentment by partnering with God's people. And so, with that, let me end with full confidence telling you all that because of Christ, oh, the reconciliation that we have in Him, the advocate that we have in Him, the sure resurrection that we have in Him, you and I can always say, no matter what our situation is, you and I can always say, I'll be fine because I have everything in Christ. Will you and I pray that we indeed learn contentment? Let's pray. We give thanks, Father, for Paul's letter to the Philippians and for the lesson that he teaches us about contentment. 
And we ask, O Lord, in whatever situation that we are in, may we cease to be self-reliant. May we run to your Son, the Lord Jesus. He is sufficient for us. We find everything in him. And we give thanks that you have given us the gift of the church, God's people, who shares in our troubles, so that while we await of your glorious appearing of your Son, we can always say, we will be fine because we have Christ and we have everything in him. Amen.